Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes. We appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. That's in the Old Testament if you hadn't been there in a while and kind of trying to remember where to find Isaiah. It's in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 6. You know, um, I want to ask you a question that's kind of odd, but uh, have you ever had one of those moments where you meet someone famous, uh, uh, what some people call a brush with fame. Have you ever uh, uh, encountered somebody that is well-known, somebody that is famous, somebody that is uh, 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 notable in your life? I mean, uh, none of us uh, frequent Hollywood that I'm aware of, so it's hard for us to to do something like that. I remember as a young child, one of the things that uh, that I used to love doing was watching old TV shows. Uh, well, I didn't realize they were old when I was young. I just thought they were funny TV shows on TV. But we had a local t- uh, television channel that played old... Uh, um, uh, reruns of Our Gang and and uh, uh, also uh, uh, other TV shows like that, you know. Uh, uh, and they had a, a presenter that would come on along with that, and he would uh, many times, knowing the audience that that, that attracted, he uh, dressed up in a cowboy outfit, and his name was Fred Kirby. Does anybody know Fred Kirby, by the way? Well, he was a local TV personality in Charlotte, and he dressed up uh, like a cowboy. And for uh, uh, one of my birthdays, uh, my parents invited Fred Kirby to come to our house. And he showed up in his... Of course, he didn't show... He said, uh, you know, he had to... Uh, ask us to forgive us for not uh, for him not riding his horse to our house, but he pulled up in a old Chevrolet and and uh, went around to the trunk and opened it up. And of course, I was one of the first kids out to to greet him at uh, at his car. And he opened up his trunk and pulled out his six guns and put them on and uh, came in the house. Uh, and and he was just there for my birthday party. Now I thought it was just cause. Uh, uh, he liked me, but of course, you know, as you get older, you realize your parents arrange for people like that to come. But uh, he was on TV, and he was somebody that was in my house for my birthday. And and of course, I had uh, on he, you know, he had a big white cowboy hat, and you know, one of those uh, fancy shirts uh, with the buttons with the little ivory uh, stones on them, and he had his uh, guns and the big boots and everything. And so, of course, uh, uh, I dressed up in my cowboy hat and I had my little plastic uh, uh, gun belt around my waist with a little plastic uh, gun and and uh, I was just in hog heaven uh, meeting one of my heroes as a little child. 
Uh, of course, uh, throughout life you, you tend to sometimes have opportunities to be in places where famous people are. Um, and there, it, there, it's always different when you meet somebody who's famous uh, when you meet them in real life. I, I can remember uh, one time when we were uh, going to, when I was uh, going to seminary we, while we were living out in Texas, I don't know why we were at this place. We were at a restaurant somewhere and uh, uh, there was a lot of commotion that happened and all of a sudden uh, you could tell why the commotion was, was happening in Walt Troy Aikman of the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, uh, of course, a lot of people were going over getting his autograph and everything, and uh, you probably don't even remember it, do you? Uh, but it was a big deal for me because I enjoyed watching the Dallas Cowboys. That was during their run of uh, going to three Super Bowls and winning and all that kind of stuff. And so it was a big deal to me because uh, I was heartbroken the first year we were there in Texas, and I was uh, actually uh, working in downtown Dallas uh, so, uh, you know, I, th- I thought, you know, I'm finally in Texas where I can watch my cowboys and everything. And I, I wind up getting a job where uh, I'm working when uh, the games are going on. So I can't watch them and uh, that kind of thing. But it didn't matter because they won one game that first year. And I was like, well, if I didn't get to watch them, it wasn't any big deal. I didn't get to see them uh, go down and defeat so many times. It, it was the la- one of the last years uh, Tom Landry coached the Cowboys and I would have loved to have met one of them but uh, that was the years uh, of rebuilding and and building into a dynasty and uh, so I I got to I didn't get to meet uh, Troy Aikman but when you meet somebody that's famous somebody that's well known it's different from what you expect. I can remember while we were uh, living in tech, uh, in West Virginia, uh, we found out that they were opening a Walmart close by, and that was uh, not a big deal, but uh, they had asked uh, Bill Gaither and the vocal band uh, to, to, to perform at this uh, opening of Walmart, and I was under instructions from my mother-in-law that I had to go down there and, and uh, beat the crowds in order to get uh, their CD and also to uh, get it signed. So I uh, met Bill Gaither, I met Mark Lowry and the other members of the Gaither Vocal Band. And uh, uh, of course, when you're there with a big crowd of people, you know, you can't really have a meaningful moment with somebody that you meet. But I at least got to meet them and, and uh, of course, got to uh, listen to them in person. We took a couple of groups to uh, some homecomings that they had in Virginia. Uh, and it was an uh, experience that uh, you don't forget when you meet somebody that is notable, somebody that's famous. And sometimes, though, it's not always what you expect it to be. Well, those are experiences with famous people. And maybe, I don't know, has anybody else had a famous encounter with anybody? Uh, somebody? Yeah? Howdy doody, okay. Okay, he was probably real wooden when you were around him, wasn't he? <laughs> okay. So, uh, and for the. Uh, uh, not everybody in this generation knows who Howdy Doody is, but I, I'm, I, I'm, I'd say, venture to say, most everybody here does. Um, 
Were they in this area or did you go somewhere else? I was with some people in Columbus. Okay. All right. So uh, uh, it's not the same when you get to meet somebody special. Uh, and I, I remember one time uh, Robin and I were out in Myrtle Beach and we got to go see Rich Little. Uh, and I used to love listening to him do impersonations and everything. And and uh, we went to one of his shows and he did a signing afterwards. It's, it's different when you get to meet some of those people face to face because you find out in, uh, when it all comes down to it, they might be famous, but they're all still just people. They're all just average people. And, of course, he was a real dummy, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, Howdy doody. But uh, uh, anyway, uh, those fam- though they may be famous, though they may be uh, well-known, they're all still just people. And for most of us, uh, we don't ever encounter any of those people, but uh, they are just, in reality, just people. Now, in the next couple of weeks on Sunday night, I'm going to talk about encountering God. And, and this passage of Scripture is uh, a very famous encounter with God. And let me just tell you, when you encounter God, it is totally different. Most of us have, uh, feel, you know, most of us here probably are Christian, and so, uh, you know, uh, this is in terms of a, of a Christian person. I want to talk to you about encountering God. And for so many Christians, they have a distance relationship with God. Uh, they see God as, as being afar off, uh, being distant, or uh, maybe just too busy to, to spend time. I know when I encountered some of these uh, celebrities and some of these people that are famous, uh, they were there were a crowd of people around them. There were a crowd of people there, and uh, you had all of maybe a second to encounter those people. You can't really get a relationship or a personal relationship with someone in a second's time, and and, and it go it comes and goes so quickly. You don't really get a sense of who they are, other than the fact that it's very drain. I can tell this it's very draining for these people when they encounter uh, the public in a manner like that and so uh, they're not always at their best they're not always uh, feeling great and uh, in a good mood simply because uh, it's overwhelming to them to have so many people coming and wanting their attention wanting to spend time with them when they only have seconds for each person Um, but when we accept Jesus Christ into our life, we have the greatest opportunity to encounter God. And we have the opportunity to, to be in a relationship with God. And we have an opportunity to not just have a brief moment of time when we get to to meet God and just go on. You know, all of us think of, of not really having met God until we go into the great beyond after we die. But really, when you accept Jesus and Christ into your heart, uh, God is there for you. God is waiting to, uh, to have an encounter with you. God desires to, to come and to join in sweet union with you and, and to be able to, to, uh, 
to unite with you in the most intimate of ways in which uh, you get to know Him and He gets to know you and you get to, to have that uh, blessed union with God that only comes when you accept Jesus Christ into your Lord as the Lord of your life and, and, and accept Him into your, uh, your daily walk with Him. God wants to have that encounter with you, but so many Christians, we, we, uh, we accept Jesus into our life, we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, we walk down the aisle, we might shake the hand of the pastor, uh, we might get baptized and join into the fellowship of believers, and really we don't think about being in a relationship with God. But that's exactly what we enter into when we accept Jesus into our life. And so for a lot of Christians, they may have a relationship with God that they don't really understand the full extent or the full uh, breadth and depth of that relationship with God. And so I want us to explore this uh, next few weeks uh, a relationship with God and how we can grow closer to God, how we can uh, know God more fully and so that we can understand God in a way uh, that we might not have experienced before and not have a brief encounter like we would if we were uh, visiting with a celebrity, but rather to have a deep, meaningful relationship like the kind of relationship that we have with our parents, the relationship that we have with our siblings, the relationship that we have with our spouse, the relationship that we have with people that we're closest to. I mean, I've used this illustration so many times before, but you can never, you'd never have a successful relationship with someone, a marriage with someone, if all you ever did was speak two minutes with, with that person once a day. If all you ever did with, when, with your spouse was, uh, hey, how you doing this morning? I'm going to head out. Uh, uh, hope you're with me. But that's the extent that a lot of people have with their relationship with God. They, they know that God is there. They know that God is supposed to be with them. And yet they don't, uh, a lot of Christians don't spend quality time with God. And I want to explore some uh, 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 time with God with you this evening to help you to understand God more fully and to hopefully that encourage you to have a deeper, more meaningful relationship with God. Now, and the first relationship with God that we're going to uh, explore is Isaiah's relationship with God. Isaiah uh, had an encounter with God that is unlike any other. It's found in Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah is called upon by God to speak a message to the people of Israel to give them uh, a clear warning and to, and to convey uh, a message of God. And uh, he describes this encounter with God in, in chapter 6. He says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me! 
For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the uh, seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the uh, tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and thy sins purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, uh, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord, having removed man far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return and shall be eaten, and the teal tree and an oak uh, whose substance is in them. And when they cast their leaves, so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. And so what we see is, is a... Uh, a calling of the prophet of God. This is the the whole process of Isaiah being called to, to go and prophesy to the people of Israel. And, but we can see some tremendous things about God and, and this encounter of Isaiah uh, with God tells us a lot about God. First, I want us to look at verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting upon the throne high and lifted up and His train filled the temple. First we see that uh, that this is has a specific reference of a time. Uh, Isaiah is not saying, you know, this is something I dreamed or I imagined it or or I remember some years ago and, and this is what it was like. Uh, he has a specific date and, and uh, all, uh, it's all linked to the time in which King Uzziah died and uh, in the life and the time of Israel. And so it is a clear indication of when it happened. And he says, And I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train filled the temple. And so we see an image of heaven. And God is, is glorified and on His throne, and He is sitting high and lifted up. And there's a holy temple around Him, and His glory is filling that temple. This is very similar to the image of God that is found in the book of Revelation. As we've been studying through Revelation on Wednesday, uh, we made reference to this in the book of Revelation and, and uh, it is the same image of God that is seen by John the Revelator uh, in uh, the book of Revelation and, and Isaiah is saying he sees this as well. Uh, God is in His holiness. Uh, God doesn't come down to Isaiah but Isaiah instead is lifted up. He's able to be given a, an image of God in His holiness in heaven. And so Isaiah is in a place of holiness and he indicates that later on when he uh, uh, in the in scripture so Isaiah sees God he is in the throne room uh, there in heaven uh, the whole 
place is filled with the glory of God. Uh, that's what it means, his train filled the temple. It's not uh, that he has a long robe on and it, and it fills all this uh, material. Is in the, he's talking about the glory of God is filling this place. God's glory is surrounding him. And, and uh, we're given an image of the righteousness of God. And he says, And above the throne where God is sitting uh, stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. And it says that they flew with two. He, he, uh, two is covering his eyes and two is covering his feet. Uh, this is also very similar to the uh, image of the uh, the angels that surround God in the book of Revelation. And uh, what we see is in the actions of the angel, the, the extent of the holiness. We fail to understand the true holiness of what is going on. These are angels that have not experienced sin, and yet uh, they, are, uh, they have six wings. They're flying with two. Two is covering their their face. This is because the holiness of God is so great they're not able to to cast their eyes upon God that they uh, that they are uh, unable to view God because of His holiness is so great that they have to cover their face with their wings. Their feet also are cov- are covered by wings. This indicate is uh, goes back to the uh, Persian tradition of. Uh, uh, the Persians believe that the feet are uh, very filthy. Uh, you never, uh, a couple of years back, uh, one of our presidents went over uh, somewhere over there in the per, uh, area of uh, the Middle East and uh, uh, they crossed their legs and showed the bottom of the sole of their feet. And it was uh, in the news for days about how. Uh, this president uh, disgraced this uh, this king or whoever he was there to meet because he had uh, crossed his, his feet in such a way that he was able to see the soles of his feet. Um, it, uh, the, the feet are considered to be filthy and it was disgraceful to show the soles of your feet uh, to anyone else. Uh, these angels covering their feet uh, indicate that uh, it is so holy there that they uh, must cover their feet uh, because of the uncleanliness of their feet. The angels... God Himself all indicate the glory of God. And the angels also profess the glory of God in that uh, while they are uh, there hovering around the throne of God, they cry out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And all the earth is full of the glory. And so they are professing the glory of God, the professing the holiness of God. Imagine being Isaiah. And you are witnessing this place of great holiness. And you're standing there and everyone there, uh, God is emanating His holiness. The angels are professing the holiness of God. They are demonstrating the holiness of God because they cannot look upon uh, the face of God because He is so holy. They're not able to... They do not wish to expose uh, their unholiness of their feet to God and they are crying out God's holiness. And the posts of the door move 
with the voice of him that cried, and the house is filled with smoke. All of these are indications of God's holiness. How often do we come into the presence of God in this place? In this place. This is not the temple of heaven. This is not the throne room of God, but... But uh, the Bible tells us where two or more gather, there He is in us, in our presence with us. God is here. And yet, how often do we come here and we lack the, the, the respect to God and the respect to the holiness of God? God deemed it uh, worthy that we should be allowed to come into His presence. And so often we fail to remember the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, God's actual righteousness and holiness point out to us how sinful we are. And Isaiah points this out in the the following verses. He says, uh, while he's standing there witnessing the holiness of God, he's experiencing all of this. He says in verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. And so, the very holiness of God points us to the fact that we are undone in our sinfulness, that we, have, uh, we are sinful before God and He is righteous, He is holy, and we're unworthy to be in His presence because of our sinfulness. And Isaiah says, look at me, I, I, woe is me, I feel as though I am condemned because of the unrighteousness that I have within me. He says, I'm unworthy to be in the presence of God. I'm unworthy uh, because I come from unclean people and I am unclean myself and I am unworthy. I'm sure uh, Isaiah is, is on his face before the presence of God because of the holiness of God. And so what we uh, glean from all of this is, is that God is holy. God is pure. His righteousness is beyond anything that we can understand. And the righteousness and the holiness of God demand that only those who are righteous be in His presence. That, if, uh, that His holiness will not allow us to be in His presence without being cleansed. And so His righteousness, His holiness, His purity uh, demands that a price for the sin that we have committed, that, we, uh, that, that our sin be addressed, that, that our sin be blotted out from His presence because He is holy. But because of His holiness and because of His righteousness and because of His great love, He extends to us His love towards us and that He desires for us to be in His presence. And, and God doesn't... Listen, this is something that we need to, to, to ingrain within us. And when we talk to other people about uh, God and, and a relationship with God, God's holiness demands that we become righteous before Him uh, in order to be in His presence. And God desires that we come into His presence. And the only way to do that is to have a payment for our sin. And that payment was Jesus Christ, His death on the cross. And His payment uh, 
in our place provides for us a means and a way to be in the presence of God because uh, of our uncleanliness we can't be in His presence but because uh, Jesus offers the blood uh, that was spilt for us to cover us that's the only way in which we're able to be in His presence. What we need to, to express to, to everyone is, is that, uh, that, uh, that God desires for us to be with us. And it's God's desire that, that, that He loves us so much is why He sent a Son to pay the price so that we could gain entrance to God. Jesus was already there uh, uh, as the Godhead, part of the Godhead. And He sacrificed so that the price might be paid so that we might be able to come back into the presence of God, that God might love us and have us have a face-to-face relationship with us. And for God to simply say, well, you know, I, 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 you know, you hear so many people talk about, well, you know, my God is a God that loves us. And, and even though I might have sinned some, God's not going to cast me away. He's going to love me. He's going to let me come into, his, uh, into heaven, even though I haven't accepted Jesus into my heart. God, God's not going to make me go to hell because I'm not a Christian and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, I've actually heard people say this kind of thing. And this right here is evidence of the holiness of God and God's holiness and righteousness demands that for us to be in His presence, that we be cleansed. And that's exactly what happens to Isaiah. The angel comes to Isaiah and the burning coal touching his lips is is a symbolic uh, uh, ritual of cleansing that Isaiah goes through so that he is in the presence of God and he is cleansed before God and uh, this is the cleansing that comes uh, before Jesus Christ dies on the cross. God grants him audience through this uh, ritual of cleansing so that he might be able to be in the presence of God and that, God, uh, that he might speak to God. God doesn't ever uh, remove his righteousness so that we can come to be with him. He removes our sin so that we might be with Him in righteousness and be with Him. So many people in the world want, to, uh, want God to just simply to remove His righteousness. Well, God, you know, I just sinned a little bit. Can't you let me slide? That would be God removing His righteousness. That would be God uh, removing His holiness. God doesn't do that. He instead enables us to have His holiness applied to our life through the spilt blood of Jesus Christ so that we might come into His presence and be in the presence of His holiness and His righteousness and His glory in His presence. And that's what happened to Isaiah, that Isaiah might go and to speak uh, uh, with God. And God says to, to Isaiah, He says... Uh, he says, he heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? This is ironic because Isaiah is standing there amongst all the angels. And the angels, the very name of the angel is messenger. Now that's what uh, the Greek uh, and Hebrew name of angels mean is messenger. 
because angels have always served as messengers of God, and that, that's what uh, they were named uh, in Scripture. And so there are all these angels all around God, and God is saying, Whom will I send? Who will go for us? Who will go and deliver the message that I'm about to share with my people? And Isaiah says, I'll go. I'll go. When you are in the presence of God, not only will God's holiness demand of us a reckoning of our sinfulness, and, only, uh, and not only will being in the presence of God demand uh, of us a uh, cleansing of our sins so that we might be in His presence, but also in the presence of God, just merely being in His presence will urge us and encourage us, compel us to serve Him. Why? Because of all the things that God has done and all of His glory and all of His riches, all the things that God is and who God is demand of us that we serve Him. Not out of an act of compulsion because He is all-powerful, but because of His love and His demonstration of His love, it compels us to demonstrate our love for Him as well. You can't be a Christian and not want to be compelled to serve God. You can't have a relationship with God and truly be in the pres- uh, have God's presence of, in your life without having a desire to be clean, to be pure before Him, and to, to serve Him. And so Isaiah says, I'll go, I'll, be, I'll go and be your messenger. And so uh, he said, Go. Tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. And he goes into the message that, uh, that God is telling His people. And God is telling uh, Isaiah to deliver a message of judgment. A message of judgment that comes. And you see, the holiness of God demands a payment for sin and, and demands judgment of sin. But I want you to see also, not just the judgment, but the forgiveness, the redemption. In the midst of all of this, as God is saying to Isaiah, all the things that are coming, all this judgment that's coming upon Israel, uh, Isaiah says, how long am I going to tell them this? How long are they going to go without being able to understand uh, uh, the message of God? How long are they going to go without hearing the message of God? How long are they going to go without the presence of God being felt in their life because of their sinfulness? And God tells Isaiah a specific time. He says, uh, the, he says, there'll be a remnant. There'll be a tenth that remain. There'll be some who will return. There will be those who will come back. Those who will... He says, they'll not always go away, but there'll be a day in which they turn around and come back. That is truly a message of redemption. That's a message of hope. It's a message uh, that, that God, in spite of the fact that He has the right judgment to, to just lay waste to the people of Israel because of their sin, to wipe them out, He says, it will not always be this way. There'll be a day in which they will return, which I will bring them back. I will bring them once again back to the promised land.
And that for us is a message of hope as well. A message that in spite of, no matter how uh, uh, great our punishment, when we face uh, punishment for our sin, that God always loves us, that God continues to love us, and that God's desire is to bring redemption. That in spite of the fact that we might go through periods of time in which uh, we feel the judgment of God because of our sin, but that God's judgment will not last, that He still loves us. God is truly like a parent who desires to see His people doing as He desires for them, doing the thing. I mean, it's just like us. When we have a child, you don't want to have to spank them, but you don't want them to reach up and touch a hot uh, stove, do you? I mean, so you smack their hand, say, no, don't do it. Because that smack on the hand is a lot easier than them reaching up and burning their, uh, getting third degree burns on their hand, right? And that's God. He He desires to see us do right and to see us do well. And so He smacks us on the hand to, uh, to warn us about the impending uh, uh, doom that we're headed towards. Because He knows that if we continue to go in that pathway, that that we'll uh, be worse off. And so He He punishes us to get us to turn back to Him, to turn. Back back into the righteousness of God, turn back to the love of God. And so what we see here is uh, uh, when we're in the presence of God, all of this is made clear. All of this is made true. And we need to understand that when we come into the right relationship with God, when we're in His presence, that we can only improve and get closer to Him because of all these things. God doesn't express His holiness because He wants a pat on the back and He wants to be seen. God is holy because He is holy. God's holiness also, though, pulls us into a a relationship of, of needing to be righteous as well, needing to have our lives cleansed and pured by God. God desires for us to have a right relationship with Him so that we can come into His presence and love Him and He love us. And all these things point to a deeper, more committed relationship with God, a more intimate relationship with God so that we can be close to Him. You see, the world has this image of God as, as some old man sitting on a throne, some way far away place, so far removed, and that we're just tiny little specks. And yet, God and all that He is expressing to us is saying, I want to have an intimate relationship with you. And these are the things that you need to understand about my relationship with you to bring you closer into a more deep, intimate relationship with Him. He desires that. He doesn't want to just simply... uh, you know, a lot of people see their relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, I accepted Jesus in my heart. I got unshackled from them sin. And it's like they're saying, yeah, I got, I got Jesus in my life and He came and He unlocked the, the shackle. Now I don't have to carry around that big ball and chain of sin in my life. I'm made free. I'm free indeed. And I'm going to go run off. No. God wants us to be free, but He wants us to go run into His arms. He wants us to have a close relationship with Him and to love Him so that we don't get shackled again by sin, so that we don't get locked away again because of the sinfulness of our life, but rather that we go into a deep, intimate relationship with Him. And that's what we're going to see as we look at at, uh, a closer uh, walk with God as we get uh, to have, you know, we want to have a, 
face-to-face encounter with God because He wants to have a face-to-face encounter with us. And, and, so, and so in the next couple of weeks as we study this, we're going to go closer and closer to God, see Him more clearly so that we can all have a deeper, committed relationship with Him. Let's pray.